This is the Creator Smarts Podcast, the number one podcast where you will learn to leverage your online following to build a smart and future-proof education business. I'm your host, Jan. Hey everybody, it's your Dutch friend Jan and you are listening to episode 151 of the Creator Smarts Podcast. Yes, I'm back. Um, I know that I've been a bit quiet recently, but uh, here we are. I guess... Um, yeah, let, let me just tell you what, what happened, right? So when we started the podcast about two years ago, um, when we started Create a Smarter Business, we wanted to go out there and talk to as many people as possible in the uh, in the creator industry, right? We started with language education and um, we gained lots of traction. We started the inner circle at the beginning. We did some uh, consultation as well. And um, then mid last year, we signed a few clients. So we've been... That's basically what our priority is now. We're focusing on growing Creator Smarts mainly through growing our partners' businesses. And um, that's what we, uh, yeah, that's our top priority. But, you know, every now and then, once I manage to find some time, or once I think that, when I think that I have something interesting to share, or when I've met somebody which I think uh, I should get on the podcast, you know, that's when. Um, that's when I will be posting future episodes. So no schedule anymore, but uh, whenever I feel I have something interesting to share here, you will get a notification, at least if you subscribe to this podcast. So make sure to do, to do that in case you haven't done so. Today we're talking to somebody I met recently, um, talking to Steve Hulford. He's a co-founder and CEO of a company called Underknown. And uh, I met Steve in yeah in Dubai in March, and then a few weeks ago I got the chance to spend some more time with with Steve and his team, at least a part of a team, of his team in London, and um, we had so many interesting conversations. And Steve was asking me how it was going with the podcast. I said, "Well, I've been slacking off a bit lately." He said, "Let's do an interview." So I'm really happy that um, that we managed to do this and um, share some of the lessons with you guys. So a bit about the company. Again, it's called Underknown. It's a digital-first media company that publishes around 4,800 videos per year on platforms like Facebook, YouTube, Snapchat, Instagram, and TikTok. So Steve is not just a creator. He actually, he built a, well, a creator empire or a, well, it's a, I guess it's a, publi- a publishing company, if you will. Um, they run multiple YouTube channels, uh, I should say multiple shows. Some of them they publish on, I guess they're all published on YouTube, but they're also being published on all the other platforms. Um, they have a team of about 200 people, of which 50 work full-time, and this year they're going to hit about $10 million in revenue, and that's just that's just at revenue. And that's, yeah, that's really impressive because they only started the company four years ago. Pay attention because this is going to be interesting. It was a long intro, but uh, yeah, without further ado, let's get started. Here's my interview with Steve. All right, Steve, welcome to the Creator Smarts podcast. Tell us a bit about yourself and uh, what you guys do with uh, at Underknown. Well, maybe I'll start with Underknown. Um, well, I'm, well, we'll start with myself. Okay. Steve Holford, I'm the CEO of Underknown. Um, I 
we've launched this company in 2016. And that was after quite a bit of uh, research with a colleague of mine named Raphael Fay. Yeah. And we essentially, we started Underdome because we saw a content gap on social media. We discovered that not there wasn't a lot of people doing storytelling on social media and in the humanities and the factual content space. Mm-hmm. You know, and I grew up as a kid reading National Geographic, The World Almanac and Book of Facts, The Book of Lists, Ripley's Believe It or Not. These were these were books and publications I just fell in love with and I was it fed my brain and fed my curiosity. Mm. And I had sold my last company in 2015. I had about 18 months and I was thinking very, I I had a chance to think slowly. And I started to think about the content business. And I started to see that you could earn reoccurring revenue on programmatic video channels. And I saw the parallel to SaaS revenue from software, which I'd been basically chasing SaaS revenue for 10 years with a software company that we sold. Yeah. And I saw the parallel. I thought, gosh, you could build a very stable digital first media company um, by producing content and putting it out there on those video channels, hmm. earning earning revenue while you sleep. Yeah. And we started to look into um, that content gap and explore that content gap in humanities. Hmm. And we, st- we, st- we, we took a look and we discovered actually that on Facebook, if you stripped away anything to do with celebrity culture, the top 10 biggest Facebook pages included four humanity, three humanity brands, two National Geographic channels, a, a Discovery Channel and History Channel. And this would have been in 2016. We did a deep dive in, into their channel and we discovered that they were not uh, producing content that, that really sort of stoked, that yeah. fed that curiosity. Mm-hmm. They were they were they were sending articles to their website and they were they were promoting their broadcast channels yeah. and their publications and things like that. So we thought we could do better, and that's when Underknown was born. How do you know that this is something that could be profitable? Because you saw that well, three out of the top ten Facebook pages, as you just said, had to do with uh, humanities. Did you know whether those pages were making money? Um, that's a very good question. In fact. We did not think that they would be profitable. Um, obviously, back then, there was no monetization on yeah. Facebook. Yeah. Um, there, were, there was monetization on the websites. So the websites that were set up were using Facebook's reach to yeah. send traffic to them where they were monetizing. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, we, we really... At the time, I, I actually raised a million dollars in early 2017. We did not have a path to monetization. We had some idea that we thought Facebook would turn on monetization. And we knew that YouTube had monetization. You could monetize websites and you could license videos. And we had this idea of building a five-legged table. Revenue streams that would come from five different sort of sectors mm-hmm. and that if one of them fell or collapsed or went away or you'd still have a stable type table. But really what we were after was the programmatic video advertising. Yeah. V- making money from our video channels. And by December of 2017, 
um, we started to earn money, uh, monetize. We started to earn money from Facebook. Um, and I think, you know, had we started a year earlier, we probably would have run out of money. Yeah. Um, and it was good fortune and timing that uh, Facebook monetization came when it did. That was uh, quite a risk that you took there then, right? Not just you, but also your investors. Because, yes, maybe, you know, if you did... If you create a good content, you could become one of the biggest pages on Facebook. But what if Facebook didn't have uh, or eventually didn't turn on their, their monetization? Um, their monetization, then that that would have been quite a, a problem. No, I mean, did you? What was the? Uh, it would have been. What was the worst case you know, scenario think, there? What, what did you tell the investors? Or didn't they? Well, ask? I, 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 I remember back then. Um, that they a lot of them were friends and that friends who'd invested in previous companies of mine hmm. and they all said that they thought we would figure it out we would figure out how to monetize this stuff yeah um and that's essentially what we did but i, I the analogy i used was it was like we were running into a burning building <laughs> with a fire hose And we just hoped that by the time we got to the fire, it got too hot that we'd actually have some water and we'd be able to put it out. Yeah. So, you know, we managed to call on like some loan and, 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 and start to make it to a point where we could uh, start to actually generate revenue from Facebook and other sources. And then, uh, you know, we were able to put out, put out the fire. Yeah. So All right. So the first platform that you guys focused on was Facebook then? Was it just Facebook at the beginning? At the start, it was Facebook. That's right. Yeah. And it was Facebook. That's right. And it wasn't, we started, we didn't start getting serious about YouTube until I want to say um, late 2018, early 2019. Really? Just to give the audience yeah. a hook here, because you guys are huge, right? Tell us a bit about the platforms where you're active and all the channels that you run. I think um, I think your talk that you gave in Dubai, you said that you guys run like 82 channels now. You're uploading about seven pieces of seven pieces of content every single day on multiple platforms. Um, you guys have channels in like eight languages, if not more. Tell us a bit about your empire. What, what does it look sure. like nowadays? What it looks like today, yeah. So, I mean, we're mostly known um, for a couple of our shows. We've got What If and How to Survive, both won Webby Awards. We have another show called Your Body on Crazy Creatures, Origins of Food, Aperture. Um, and so these are the shows. These are the brands we create. And we publish those on Facebook, YouTube, Snapchat, TikTok now, and Instagram. Mm-hmm in as many as 12 countries. So you imagine, today I think we have something like 65, 70 video channels that are monetized on those platforms. Yeah. So we, you know, What If is the most advanced. In that particular case, What If is on Facebook, YouTube, Snapchat, TikTok, Instagram, and it's in as many as 12 languages. We just recently launched uh, in Norwegian and Arabic, What If. So that was our 11th and 12th language. So how to survive is not in as many languages. Your body on, same, crazy creatures. Uh, and origins of food um, is 
and versus i miss versus how could i miss versus hmm. origins of food versus are and one one on snapchat called wtf did i just watch those three shows are new they came out of our show development team we're testing them they're on facebook youtube snapchat they've performed extremely well and those are our new shows that we're investing in and building and growing audiences in and then earlier this year we we purchased aperture so all in all, there's nine brands in Underknown. Our whole mission is to educate the world about science and the humanities. And the ch we're doing about 250 million 30-second views every month across YouTube, Facebook, Snapchat. We do about 600 million watch minutes. Uh, we have 30, we have 200 people working on the content process, 50 full-time, 150 fr freelancers in 33 countries. And yeah, we are, uh, we're still scaling and we're still growing. Um, and right now programmatic video advertising makes up 96% of our revenue. Wow. It's now in the sort of eight figures. Yeah. Well, that's a uh, pretty crazy. Well, we, we want to find out your story, right? That's why we're here today. So this was kind of the hook for the audience, right? Take us, take us back all the way to the beginning and then uh, we're going to figure out how you got to where you guys are today because you started underknown four years ago but you actually started as a well creator if you will like 25 years ago take, take us back yeah, in time and, and tell us about how you got involved uh, with uh, media well i um i used to swim on the national team for canada uh, and, and I, I had a chance in 92, um, to, to work with a broadcast network called CTV out of Toronto. Uh, I got exposed to broadcast sports television at the Barcelona Olympics in 92. And while I was nothing more than really a coffee runner, I got a chance to sort of see the lights, the camera, the action of broadcast media, and I just fell in love, and I knew I wanted to work in media. Um, and it was, you know, after that, I, I wound up, uh, I, as I was leaving university, me and some colleagues of mine, some, some actually, they weren't colleagues back then, roommates, friends, we decided to backpack through Indonesia, and I had this idea of creating a travel documentary, a travel TV series, and this would be the pilot. It was 60 days in Indonesia. It was a backpacking adventure of four people backpacking through Indonesia and the experiences they had along the way. My, my goal, li like yours, was to get paid to travel the world. Yeah. And uh, we, we made that travel documentary. It, you know, it, it ended up, we got it done. Um, movie television, which was a syndicated TV show, covered it. And then I ended up, Trying to, had to get work. Nobody wanted to hire me, um, and I got a job at IBM, and I started to learn about technology. And I thought, okay, well, I want to be where technology and media come together. And the internet was just exploding in '96. That took me on a wild adventure into back into sports broadcasting, building websites. I worked in San Francisco during the dot com boom. Came back to Canada, running sports broadcast properties. You know, I was always, always thought of myself as a creative, but I became the one that in those creative relationships I had, I, I became the business guy. Yeah. Um, but it was, I was always been 
I've always had a love for content. Mm-hmm. So we, I did a lot of building content management systems and things. And it, it, in 2003, uh, there was a corporate coup, and I got, um, you know, I got packaged out, and I started a fantasy sports business with a couple other partners. We ran that for a while, acquired another fantasy sports property. We sold that, built a, a software platform called File Mobile that we ultimately sold in 2015. And we spent 10 years basically working with media companies around the world, helping them get photos and videos from fans or from their audience and integrated them into their broadcast systems. Yeah. So we worked with, um, you know, over there, we'd go to the IBC conference in Amsterdam and meet all of our customers. And we worked with Swiss TV and ITV. And um, we worked with a, a lot of the broadcasters um, in, in the U.S., Fox News, you know, USA Today, the Canadian broadcasters, CBC, Global, Australian. Uh, and, and we ultimately sold that in uh, February of 2015. And that that's where I met uh, an entrepreneur by the name of Alex Hartman, the late Alex Hartman. He passed away in 2019, sadly. But he purchased File Mobile, and he said to me, I want you to incubate your next company inside this one. Yeah. And... Um, I started to think a lot about modern digital media, digital first media. And um, I sort of, when I left the company, I started uh, in 2016 to think about how we could, you know, this is where we discovered this content gap. We used data science to find content gap. We thought that factual content was more popular and there were less people in this space. And, you know, with, with these publications I mentioned, like read, I grew up reading Reader's, Reader's uh, Digest, Guinness Book of World Records, um, Book of Lists, um, you know, National Geographic and all that, and thought that we could do a, a great job of telling these types of factual stories. People were interested in them, and we let data science inform us what audiences wanted, and... We did a lot of reverse engineering of IFL science and Dipley at the time. And um, that's what we set out. We, we built an MVP in 2016. Mm-hmm. It was a digital property called Interesting Shit. Yeah. And Interesting Shit was named after the spreadsheet that contained about 250 stories that we wanted to cover. And these were really, I guess, they were underknown stories. And that's where the term underknown came from. Um, and we started creating all those stories. We did one about, you know, a thousand people that lived under the streets of Las Vegas in the storm tunnels. We did one about, you know, B-24 bomber at the bottom of Lake Mead. Was this on Facebook? We did this story. That, this is on Facebook. Yeah. We did one uh, about a lot of people think the largest marine evacuation in the history of the world was Dunkirk, but it was in fact the 9-11 boat lift after the towers fell. Boats got a half a million people off Manhattan Island. Um, These stories kept going viral in 2016, which led to the capital raise, uh, the Friends Round in January of 2017, and building of a team that got to work. And, you know, here we are, you know, five years later with, uh, you know, it's incredible growth. How do you approach creating that MVP? Because 
it's not cheap, right? You need to come up with the ideas. You need to write out all the stories. You need to film them. Um, how do you approach that? Like, you have a budget for an MVP, or you have, do you have certain goals that you want to that you want to reach? That you say, okay, if we get over, I don't know, over a million views within the first month, it's a success. Otherwise, it's not. How do you define? Well, how do you go about creating an MVP and um, justifying the costs? And how do you set a yeah. goal, a target? Well, I, you know, I've always had a lot of success in my career um, creating MVPs. Uh, partly because I, I'm a builder and a picture is worth a thousand words and an MVP is worth maybe 10,000 words and maybe a million dollars. So, you know, I, I think it really, it's really, I usually have a budget of around $50,000 for an MVP. Mm-hmm. And that's what we did with file mobile in 2015. You know, I'll, I'll write this, I'll do tons of research. Uh, when in, in 2016, when um, I, I wrote like, like a white paper, like a 30-page white paper uh, about the digital first media company, I learned as much as I could. I went down the rabbit hole, and uh, I ended up. Um, and I find too, when I'm in that process, I end up sucking people in mm-hmm. that I have to talk to. I, I get obsessed with this idea that I cannot shake. It's like there's no other thing I'd rather be doing than this particular thing and i want to find out how you know what could it be so i need to make the thing that i want to talk to people about and that's what interesting shit was it was a pitch deck it became a website it became we started to hire story writers and people writing articles and then from those articles we turned them into videos next thing we had 30 videos half a million uh or fifty thousand followers on social we'd had 50, 60 million video views. And it was this prototype um, that led to ultimately the capital raise. Yeah. Um, I, I think really in the, in the MVP, you're just trying to validate, like, is there interest in this? Yeah. You know, in that particular time, we weren't thinking, what's the business model? How are we going to monetize it? Um, but it's usually to build the product, see how it interacts, what's people's feedback, and then ultimately, what's the business model? How do we make money from this? How are we going to scale this? Uh, and, I, and you know, I look back now, the business model we did in twenty November of seventeen, we've hit pretty much all our revenue t- targets since then. Yeah. What we didn't know was really the mix and how they were going to come from, but. Um, so it's really about yeah validating getting getting that uh, traction. Mm-hmm. If we can get traction in that MVP and that traction can inform a model, then I think you can go raise capital from that from that story. Yeah, was it hard and, to, and you have to spend a lot of money? Was it hard to raise capital because you said these investors were your friends basically, right? They, they knew like you had a, a proven track record. Um, did they have any difficult questions or? Did they think, okay, Steve, Steve you know, knows how to do this. He's going to figure out the monetization part and what the eventual business is going to be. You, that's a good question. It was not, I, I actually had never raised money before. These other startups that I'd had, we had, we um, bootstrapped them. Yeah. You know, we would, um, we went out and got customers and then those customers would pay and then we would get revenue and, 
you know, um, you know, so after bootstrapping, I realized I don't want to do that again. In, in this particular case, I had to raise money because we had to build an audience first. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You can't monetize unless you have that. So, um, I admittedly, I don't think I had a lot of trouble raising that first million from friends. They were, I, I'd been talking about it for eight months. I think some of them just invested to shut me up. Um, but a lot of them had said, you know, you've had two successful exits. You, um, you're, you're going to figure this out. And, but what was harder was the next round, you know, going out to the street and raising money from people that didn't know who I was, was hard. Yeah. And the next million we raised was actually from angel investors. And that was a very difficult process. Mm Mm-hmm. So how do you convince them? <laughs> because I um, guess the traction. biggest traction. Traction. All right. And that was the traction on Facebook or were you already on all the platforms by that time? So, you know, what happened was, um, so we went out to, to raise money from angel networks. In, so the next sort of logical thing after friends round is, is angels. Yeah. And then you go to VCs and, and whatnot, right? So... You know, in, in where I'm, where I am in Toronto, we have uh, angel networks around, and you know, in, in an angel network, you might have fifty to a hundred investors, and it's almost like Shark Tank, where you know you show up. First, they need to scrutinize you: Are you ready for angel investments? And then you go in and you pitch to a room full of people, and then you know maybe ten might put up their hand. And then you have to chase $25,000 checks. Yeah. It's really difficult. Um, but what happened was, is I ended up going to speak to, I think I spoke to nine angel networks. And each time I would go to these angel networks, you'd see yeah. people in the crowd that had been to a few of them. And, you know, in, in April, I'm, I'm saying we're doing 50000 a month. And then in May, I'm saying we're doing 80000 a month. And then the next month, they, they're seeing this revenue number go up. And they, so by the end, um, you know, they ended up seeing the revenue growth. Um, I heard a lot of people talk about, you know, the, the team we'd put together, the, the passion we had for the story. Um, but ultimately, I had a, um, you want to get a lead investor, somebody who is going to come in for a big chunk of the money. And I had somebody who was quite well known in the Toronto tech scene uh, to come in as a lead investor. I even introduced that person to a lot of the investors. Uh, but then I did some research. I did my own due diligence and spoke to a couple people that may have worked with this person. And they said, don't take that person's money. Mm-hmm. And that was one of the toughest things I had to do. It was, I remember, July 31st, 2018. And... I realized I was about $150,000 short on the raise and I had to put in that money. Yeah. Hmm. I had to have that conversation with my wife and say, you know, I'm not going to be able to unlock this 350,000 unless I put in the 150,000. And and that's what I did. Mm -hmm. Would would you say that what you guys do at Unknown is actually investing in digital media creation? Isn't that what it is? Yeah. It is. It's we have to finance 
um, all the content that we create. Mm-hmm. We have to we have to essentially finance upfront all the content we create, and then we have teams producing it, putting it out on channels. Usually, there's a period of time. It could take six months to a year before you get to some sizable amount of revenue. Mm. And you you that duration of time is you you just don't know how long it's going to be. Yeah. Because that that's what my next so, next question was going to be like how long how long does it take to be profitable because the videos that you guys create is is like very high quality right you have a huge team of script writers and i don't know animators and video editors and uh, researchers and researchers and, well yeah. there you go yeah so how do you how do you justify those investments um what's the time horizon how long does it take to to break even in your experience and how sure are you? that it's going to take that amount of time when you when you launch a new channel. Well, um, you know, let's take a look at the different platforms. So yeah. YouTube, that's got the longest runway. When you launch a brand new YouTube channel, it's going to take some time. Um, we were able to, with What If, it took us five months to get to 33,000 followers, took us 30 more days to get to 100,000 and 83 days after that we got to a million um that was pretty fast that trajectory just uh, with the but, you know, uh, what if channel that that was what if yeah yeah after i think it was six months that channel was doing about 30,000 usd a month wow but we've got channels that might take a year to get to a third of that um, YouTube is the most difficult to scale up. We can now, though, promote from our other YouTube channels and community tabs and things and incubate new channels and get them to monetization quicker and grow them faster. Yeah. But really, like six months, um, you're, you're in no man's land, I mm-hmm. like to say. Mm-hmm. And, you know, but, and then let's take a look at Facebook. On Facebook, you know, we've got we're our channels are monetized. We're able to actually launch channels, you know, that are monetized right away. We're earning money and we can promote them on other channels we have and get money right away. We're making money right away. It'll take time to build up that channel though. Mm-hmm. But we're able to share them on other pages and, and whatnot. Um so you're in the money on Facebook. Um Snapchat is another one where you're in the money on day one. You need to go through the Snapchat team. You need to pitch a show. And the Snapchat people are fantastic. Um, They're very, very, they know that platform inside and out. And you have to pitch them. And then you need to start making that content. Usually you drip out like, I think it's like one video a week. Then you might be able to up the cadence to two a week. Uh, But you're in the money right away. Um, and what we do, what we're typically doing on a show is we'll make 16 videos a month, one every, every other day. And only, and, and we'll put up the, all of them on Facebook. The ones that perform the best go on YouTube. You might, you might have around the same amount go on YouTube. And then I think it's around eight or so that go on Snapchat. And again, Snapchat's audience is a little different than YouTube's, a little different than Facebook. Um, why, why but just, generally speaking, yeah, want to just upload everything on Snapchat as well. Um, 
you could, you, you could absolutely do that. But you know, we only have so many slots yeah. on Snapchat. Okay. You're not allowed to yeah. upload an unlimited amount. And you know, that's what we're told. That's what we do. Uh, you don't oversaturate the channel. Um, and so I would say, you know, we've had to kill shows that have not performed well. Like we thought this is going to do great. And then it doesn't. And we'll stick, we stuck with it for like six, six to 12 months. And it's just not, it's not hit. Yeah. You know, we've had to kill it. And what we'll, what we're trying to do is find themes that, that really, you, you might do like 20 videos and they're just duds, but you have one banger. Mm-hmm. A big hit we call it's a banger, and that banger. Then you what? What can you learn about that? And then you try to do that again, mm-hmm. and do that again, and then that starts to sort of what starts to emerge is is some themes that really resonate with the audience, and that's where we kind of try and focus on. We're not always go all in on those things because you need to find new themes too. Yeah. Um. But generally speaking, the first six months of a show, it's you, it, you've got a it's a six month. You're in no man's for no man land for six months. It's hard to predict. It's a very hit driven business. Yeah, Let, let's talk about Facebook and Snapchat because most of our listeners know about YouTube, right? And I think when we think about creators or the creative economy, most people think about YouTube. Now, I met you guys. Um, well, first in Dubai, but then a few weeks ago, we also met in London and we got, to, uh, we got to talk a bit more. And I was really surprised to hear that actually a very big chunk of your revenue comes from Facebook and Snapchat and not necessarily from YouTube. Uh, how does that work? Is that something for everybody? And, you know, we, we, I thought that Facebook was, well, Snapchat was that, that's what I thought. I thought that Facebook was dying. Um, Am I, was I really that wrong about <laughs> about it? Um, can everybody get monetized on Facebook? How easy is it to make money off Facebook and Snapchat? Or how difficult? Yeah, you know, I, I think YouTube was sort of, YouTube was very early, obviously, with monetization. And that's where a lot of things went. That's where the focus went. And a lot of people optimized their videos for YouTube. A lot of it was creator-driven with, you know, people on screen like us talking about things or doing different things. Um, and Facebook's platform was a bit different. Um, you know, you, you really have to engage someone early in the first like three seconds, and then you got to carry them through to the one minute mark where there's an ad that appears. And then, you know, you've, it's all about watch time. It, it's mm. optimized for watch time. Well, YouTube's optimized for watch time too. Yeah. Um, and, and Snapchat, um, Snapchat, I find different from both of them in that, what the audience wants to watch is different than Facebook and YouTube. Mm. But at the end of the day, you know, it's, it's the thumbnail is incredibly important. And your first, you know, 10 seconds is incredibly important. So it's kind of a combination of YouTube where the thumbnail is really important. Mm-hmm. And Facebook, where the first three seconds are important. Yeah. Snapchat, both of those are important. Mm-hmm. But to answer your question, like Facebook, uh, is a major revenue earner for us. You know, we have something like almost 60 million followers. I want to say maybe 30 or 40 million of them are on Facebook. Uh, Facebook is giving us reliable revenue. Um, We understand the platform insight. It's a great video platform to be on. 
in our experience, um, it, it does it performs extremely well. We know it. It, it so it turns out that chasing that one minute ad break actually there's a lot of parallels to having success on YouTube and having success on Snapchat. Mm-hmm. Do you create your? And or, I think yeah, Go I ahead. think that because we were Facebook first, we've been actually able to take one video and put them on on YouTube and Snapchat with 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 some great some with some success. Mm-hmm. Do you still optimize your videos for Facebook, or are you still Facebook first, and then just duplicate everything on the on the other channels? I I th- I think we're still probably Facebook first um, in that, but you know we we we're moving from a we're moving from a centralized, um, ma- centrally managed organization to the shows manage themselves. Yeah, yeah. And the the shows are starting to make content for different platforms. We're starting to get away from that. What if in particular? starting to get away from and what you see on YouTube might you might not see on Facebook and Snapchat. Yeah. Some of the some of the videos that go on Snapchat might not go on Facebook and YouTube. Unlikely. I think we'd put them all on Facebook, but not always on YouTube. Mm-hmm. YouTube YouTube um you know that you, you want to you, you need to be consistent, you need to have um you know be putting out, you know, top content. Um Facebook's a bit more forgiving. And, um, you know, Snapchat, we just don't have the slots. Yeah. Right. But I'd say our mix is about 40% of our revenue comes from Snapchat, 40 from Facebook, 20 from YouTube. Yeah, that, that's really interesting. That's quite, uh, quite different from the other people that we have been talking to here on the podcast. So if Facebook is so profitable, then why is nobody on Facebook? Is it is it hard to get monetized or... Is it just a, a hidden secret that no, no, that nobody is talking about? Or what do you think it is? Well, I, you know, I don't know. Is is nobody on Facebook? That uh, that's news to me. I mean, I I think everybody's on Facebook. Are they not? Now, I I should also state, and maybe this is where there's a bit of a is we are we think of ourselves not as a creator per se, but as a publisher. Yeah. So we all of our shows. Um, are voiced and there's content you don't see faces in our shows yeah so we're a little different um than the creator led we have amazing voiceover talent like peter schmeechen the voice of what if you know he he's a magnificent voiceover artist liz fodor stefan johnson and many others these are these people let's be clear they're creators and their talent mm-hmm. but you don't see their face yeah Do you- so so do you think could be that I think that might be different yeah do you think that facebook could be uh or facebook and snapchat um can be a better place for faceless brands and that youtube might work better for personal brands people who show their face blogs vlogs yeah you know that kind of stuff. you know i i, I just anecdotally hmm. my own personal opinion that might be the case yeah um because like let's face like youtube is our third biggest channel yeah um you know and we're so maybe it is like youtube is that that could be that'd be interesting to to find out but Mm. that that may be the case which cpms are higher snapchat facebook or youtube well i'm i'm gonna i'm gonna 
bring them up. Um, Snapchat, I would say, have the highest CPMs. Um, it's followed by Facebook, and then third would be YouTube. Mm-hmm. Again, that's our experience. Yeah. Um, we that's a. I'm also giving you a summary of you know many many international languages. Um, but I would say, in in that order, that is definitely how we'd see it. Yeah. So who is Snapchat for? Is it mainly for well publishers like yourself? Um, informative videos, high quality. Can everybody get monetized? Can I, does everybody get permission to? Because it's not like YouTube, right? Not everybody can upload content there. Tell us a bit of about chat. Sorry about Snapchat because the platform has changed quite a lot over the past few years. Um, just for those listeners who, who I, thought that you know, Snapchat was that. Yeah. For, first of all, I love Snapchat. Um, I have two kids that are 17 and 15. And in order to communicate with my 15-year-old, I have to do it through Snapchat. <laughs> and Snapchat is a magnificent texting app. The best. Bar none. The lenses they have, the emojis, the graphics, like what they've thought of, nobody else is even remotely coming close to. And what they've done, uh, and, and their camera and their, is, is just magnificent. And what they have, um, you know, outside of that is their discovery tab. You can see it on my, I just putting my camera up to the screen there. Yeah, it looks a bit and, like Netflix. Yeah, it does look like, it looks like the old channel dial. Where you're scrolling through and you're looking at media brands. There are a lot of media brands in here, but let's face it, there's a lot of faces in these thumbnails. Um, you know, I, I, that's a good question if publishers are, you know, I, I think if you're a creator, and this is where companies like Jelly Smack are helping creators, yeah. like you, you might be focused on YouTube and you're putting it out on YouTube, but then you actually have to sort of, you really need to know these platforms to be successful on. Yeah. You need to know, and it's it's not something like one person can do. They'd have to have a team. Mm-hmm. So we have quite a big team. We're really focused, we, we're focusing on all the nuances and I don't know for sure whether, you know, I, I think there's a lot of creators on Spotlight in Snapchat, but the, it could be more that there's publishers that are in Discover. Yeah. Uh, certainly the ones I'm watching are publishers, and I know a lot of publishers yeah. that, that are in Snapchat as well. So, but it's, uh, it's, it's one of those companies that they really are um, – they're, they're different than all the other platforms. Uh, I really have a lot of respect for Evan Spiegel and that whole team, the decisions they make. They're also producing original content, mm-hmm. which they're putting in there. Um, but not everybody can publish content there, right? You need to, no, you need to get permission. That's right. How do you get that permission? You need to get permission. Um, so you have to pitch show con- shows to them. You need to... You know, I, I believe you need to um, you need to know you need to. I'm not certain. I might be speaking out of tune here, yeah. but you need to pitch shows to Snapchat, and it's it's maybe in that group it's B two B, like the, us as a publisher we pitch shows to Snapchat. We have a relationship with Snapchat. You know, we work with the teams in the U.S. in Canada, the teams in London who manage all of EMEA. Um, 
and all of our international stuff is done out of the London office and we're pitching shows to uh, them and they'll either they're, they're very, they don't always say yes. Yeah. Um, and they're, they're always up for testing too. So, and we're very data driven. So we like to test. Mm-hmm. So, and they're, they're constantly evolving. I, I believe more and more, Publishers and creators are coming on the Snapchat platform. It's getting more and more competitive. Mm-hmm. Um, that's for sure. It's harder and harder to uh, to 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 get the big hits. Yeah. Do you have any thoughts on platforms like Instagram or TikTok? Is it worth posting there as well? Instagram, we have a monetized channel, um, but it doesn't. We have not really leaned into that one too much. Um, I, I, I can't speak too intelligently about Instagram. Uh, what was the other one? TikTok, you said? Yeah. TikTok is, uh, again, another magnificent platform. Uh, it's one, me personally, I've had some personal viral success on. I always play with these platforms. In 2019, I started posting things, and um, I had a few quick viral hits, and then I've been resting on my laurels ever since. But I consume a lot of content on TikTok. I follow a lot of publishers. We're all, I'm always looking at what people are doing. Um, it does a good job of determining what you like and what you don't like. We've got the What If uh, TikTok channel has maybe almost 2 million followers in it. Um, we are actually building a whole shorts team that is going to be TikTok first and that, that content's going to go on shorts on youtube it's going to go on reels on facebook and possibly uh spotlight on snapchat and we're making short uh versions of all of our videos mm-hmm. using the best eye-catching content um maybe even uh, in and post them on all of those platforms again with the thinking that there's already some revenue like we're getting some revenue from youtube uh, I believe we're getting some revenue from Facebook and we know that TikTok is rolling out monetization and, you know, we are a TikTok partner and have done some work with them more on the licensing side. Um, and we think that you, you have to be on those growing platforms. So we're there yeah. and we think eventually monetization as I, I believe Zuckerberg said, it monetizes less, but you know, they're going to figure it out. We think the money will follow to what degree we don't know. It does definitely cannibalize though. You know, these five minute videos we make Mm -hmm. and that's a concern. Yeah. I I think what's really interesting about what you guys do is, I mean, as a digital media investor, all right, that's basically what you guys do. I think what's interesting is that most people that we talk to in the podcast here, they use, their traffic to promote a service or maybe promote their own course like you guys have figured out a way to consistently build channels that are profitable by just with just the adsense only or ad revenue what what's the next step because you guys educate you're going to give your audience a chance to to learn have a more in-depth learning experience any thoughts about about that that you want to share here with uh, with our audience about what's next? Yeah, about about the importance of course creation. Is it is it something that that you might consider or? Uh, well, absolutely. Um, 
you know, our mission, um, you know, we're, we're at a street strategic uh, point in our business, you know, five years in, we had a five-year plan and, you know, uh, you know, outside of some vague revenue projections for 2023 and beyond, we haven't really done a major sort of uh, look at that uh, in, in five years. We've been sort of executing on what we wanted to do in 2017. So we are actually in the process of having strategic conversations internally, doing summits. And we, we, we basically been doing research for about 18 months uh, on what digital first media companies, where do they make money? Yeah. Beyond programmatic video advertising. What, what you see is that for the most part, um, they're not all in on one thing like we are in programmatic advertising revenue. We want to go back to that five-legged table concept, and we're looking at other things. Mm-hmm. Um, and courses are of great interest to us. Are there any other examples of digital-first media companies? Like what, what, what can we think about here? Is it like, like Business Insider or The Economist? or like What, what do you compare yeah. yourself to? Who are well, the other guys I, who are playing like this game? Sure. Um, okay, so Jungle Creations in London, um, Little Dot Studios. You've got um, probably the you've got uh, the Soul Publishing. You have you have a group like uh, Group Nine, who is now Group Nine Vox. You've got Buzzfeed. You have tastemaker yeah um you've got watch mojo in montreal valnet in montreal the goal cast guys up in montreal you've got out in los angeles uh infographic show yeah. um and others guys doing uh, interesting engineering in turkey and they're all launching multiple channels on multiple platforms that's right Yeah, most those ones I've mentioned are all sort of I put in the same categories. It's like publishers. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think of kind of what we do. It's like we, we own a bunch of magazines, almost. You know, yeah, uh, different fans. Barcroft, Barcroft Studios, they they were purchased. Um, we keep in touch with all of those names that I that I mentioned. Yeah, so like if we if we look at the industry. Like, what's the equivalent of of all these companies like 10 years ago? Are these like the magazines? I think so. I think they're like magazines. You know, they're like all just fan interest. They're, they're very focused fan-interested properties. It, it, that's the probably closest analogy I've seen. Yeah. What's the most exciting thing about building an unknown? What is the most exciting thing? Well, you know, uh, anybody you talk to um, on our team, you know, the programmatic advertising um, revenue stream is ex- is is a wild roller coaster ride. Yeah. You know, it's it's like following the stock market. Some days you're up, some days you're down. Some days you can't make sense of things. Sometimes there's algorithm changes. You've got It is, uh, it's not for the faint of heart. Exciting is perfectly kind of personifies what it is. 
And then I would just say, like, the, the incredible people that uh, are attracted to our company, you know, our mission about educating the world about science and humanities, there's, you know, I, I'm now, there's so many people in the company. I, I have yet to meet them all, and I don't work with them on a regular basis, always. Um, and so when I meet them or I overhear something and they're, they're sort of, they're, they're as engaged as I am, uh, it's just, that's exciting. Yeah. Any thoughts on the future of this industry? Like, how is the what is the industry going to look like in ten years from now? Like, see, we are we going to see even more digital media investors, um, digital first media companies? Are they going to be bigger? Um, I guess we're going to see new platforms as well, right? Are we going to see virtual yes. reality? Like, I mean, how, how do you, how do you envision this? And, I mean, it's hard to, to know what's going to happen over the next ten years, right? But you have a you have a vision of of what the company could be, and not just your company, but also what's going to happen in the industry yeah. in like ten years from now. Well, I I, I I think these digital first media companies are the you know billion dollar media companies of the past. Yeah, um, that are you know producing content uh, on multiple platforms. They 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 have relationships with their audience. They run events. They they run educational courses. They're they're the like how I fell in love with National Geographic, World Online. It, it, these are the same things. People are going to have lifelong relationships with these properties, and they're going to produce content that could be you know AR VR in the metaverse or on your phone. Um, I think the big thing that sort of we are early, we're the early sort of uh, we're the early movers in this space is that the content we make is for people to watch on their phones, and that's a brand new screen. It's it's brand new in the the world of media, um, but what I've noticed as I've studied old media to sort of understand what the future looks like is that. These challenges we have of moving people from platform to platform or getting them to go to some physical location from a website or a platform, these are the same challenges that they had, you know, 120 years ago <laughs> when William Randolph Hearst, you know, ran newspapers and or when Henry Luce started Time magazine um, and, you know, when Stan, um, Stan Lee ran Marvel Comics, like, a lot of these same challenges, uh, you know, we have today. So I think the more things change, the more they stay the same. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's really uh, inspirational. We're going to follow. And then, uh, just one final question here, because we work with, um, well, we interview also work with a few individual creators, right? So not, not talking about media companies, but about the, um, let's say, well, the average YouTuber, right? So somebody has a passion for something, starts a YouTube channel, and they have difficulties outsourcing, right? Outsourcing video editing, script writing, the video recording. How do you think about that? Because you're, you're not afraid to outsource. You run this, this huge empire. Is that, a, is that something that you've struggled with in the past? Delegation, outsourcing? Any tips for Absolutely, those, for those yeah. guys? Yes, uh, lots of tips. Um, so it, it, it's I actually we started the company in the in the room I'm in right now talking to you from. Uh, we we started the company in my house, and we grew to about 15 people, and then my wife kicked us out. 
and we went downtown and got an office. Um, but back then, like everybody that was making content, are the people that would produce the videos did it all. They wrote the script, they sourced the assets, they edited the video, they, they made the whole thing. And now we have those same people running the show and they've got writers and editors and they've got people that check scripts, they've got fact checkers, they've got researchers. Um, and we've had to outsource that to, and, 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 our, and we hire talent from all over the world. They can't like, we've, we, they can't just be in Toronto anymore. That hasn't been the case for a very long time. But what we've done is we've, we've created, guess what, courses. We have got uh, Underknown Bootcamp, and that is something everyone that is, if you're, in the, if you're making content at Underknown, you go through Underknown Bootcamp, and you learn how we make content, how we do what we do. We have an online course that we teach everybody um, it's a big part of our training and we keep up with that. Um, and that's, that's really important. So, and how do you avoid not being afraid to outsource? <laughs> is well, it, is that it, is that we, we had to outsource by necessity. And when you say yeah. outsource, you mean work with freelancers? Yeah. For example, I mean, just delegating work because when you create your own, content like it's, it's something very personal right your videos it's represents yourself so if you don't hire well, a video it, editor who doesn't understand the, the philosophy behind the video messes up the video editing people feel hurt <laughs> um well so this is where we've created a format yeah like in what if we use a hypothetical question as an entry point to talk about science in crazy creatures we licensed footage and we put that up front and you watch some strange animal behavior adaptation and then we explain what happened there's four like a, a repeatable format that so once you learn and understand the format and you watch a bunch of videos you're ready to go hmm. and the showrunner's job is to keep everybody on brand and that showrunner has a team of editors and writers and they ideate together on stories. They've got access to our data science team. They've got access to our publishing team that are constantly giving them new ideas, what they should test, what they, hey, you haven't had a banger in a while. You should consider this, this, and this, you know? Um, so, you know, we've, we've had to, right from the get-go, um, we're not creating brands around people. We're creating brands yeah. around we're creating a brand uh, around a subject or a yeah. format. Do you watch your own videos? And are you worried that people on your team make mistakes? I, I do watch a lot of the videos. Um, I, I, I'd be lying if I said I watched them all. I mean, we're, this year we're going to do 1,500 original English videos and 3,300 international versions of those. I might watch... Um, 10, 10 to 20 percent of them 150 to 300 of them um and i'm not worried about mistakes you know um i'm not worried about it you know funny story um in 2016 2017 uh on on new year's eve i saw chris hadfield had posted 20 good news stories about 2016 and i actually grabbed those they, it, I grabbed those 
and I made a video out of them. And I had 20 good news stories. And it was like a 10-minute video. I edited the whole thing together, and I uploaded it onto Facebook. And we got 100 million views on it. And I spelt Columbia wrong. You know, um, and I, I'm sure I pissed off 44 million Colombians. Um, you make mistakes. <laughs> you move fast. You break things. Like, yeah. you know, I where where I'm more concerned is like, do we get the facts wrong? You know, and that's why we have researchers and we have people doing research briefs. Um, but we're not always going to get it right. Yeah. And uh, yeah, you can't. You know, we will go back. We'll make. We we always when we post a video, we have our we we it, we explain where our sources came from, um, link them to a website. Uh, we've got all these fantastic research grades. We do the best we can, and I think we're very good at what we do. But people are going to make mistakes. So it's all about finding the right people to work in your team and creating the systems that are going to help you avoid making those mistakes. That's right. Very, we're very, very good operators. Our head of operations, Christina Caballero. We've got uh, an incredible team. Um, the showrunners, um, my my partner Raphael, like he, he runs the publishing team, the data science and design teams. You know, we have sixteen people on the publishing team that are posting on all these channels. Um, yeah. It's uh, it's a big it's a big operation. All right. Steve, thank you so much for your time. Any final, any final thoughts you want to share here with our audience or the people in the industry? Well, just that uh, you know, I'm 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 uh, I'm a I'm a learner. I'm I'm new at this. I'm I love. Uh, I think the idea of creating courses. I think it's it's brilliant. You know, we 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 we're sharing we're sharing uh, you know our ideas with the world. We, we want to educate the world about science and the humanities. I would say to all your listeners, like, if you got ideas of how we can do that, um, we're very interested in courses. Would love to hear from some of the listeners on, you know, how, how, how they, how, how it goes with courses. We're very interested in the space. Very excited about it. All right. And thanks for having me. Yeah. Steve, thanks for your time. Um, yeah, that was Thank a good you. interview. I took lots of notes. Yeah. All right. Yeah, great chatting. Nice. Stop. All right, that was it for today. I really hope that you enjoyed this episode. And if you want more, then please give this podcast a positive review in well, wherever you're listening to this podcast. And if you want to learn more about what we do and how we can maybe help you growing your creator business, then make sure to go to creatorsmarts.com. Ciao.